morning. It's great to be back out with everyone again and to see all y'all here. And just to have the ability to study another message from God's word with you together. If you want to turn to the book of Haggai, that's where we're going to be for both lessons this morning. That is right, Mr. Jacob, right? We're still doing Haggai. Making sure you didn't pull the rug out on me when I was gone. If you were here during uh, Mr. Jacob's lesson about two months ago now, where he looked forward to 2023, you may remember that he announced we're doing a little bit of a mini-series this year on some of the minor prophets. And we're doing that because if you're anything like me, you haven't studied the minor prophets near as much as you ought to. Maybe they seem a little intimidating and foreign to you. And I don't think you'd be by yourself in that fear at all. And so in this series, we're just trying to familiarize ourselves with this book and many of the other minor prophets. That way we can study them all better both together and in our individual study. And if you don't know much about the book of Haggai, that is absolutely fine. Because in this lesson, we're going to be going over the basic message and context of that book together to catch everyone up that might not know and to remind those of you who have studied it before. So first, we're going to place Haggai in the sort of overall biblical narrative. So Haggai takes place... After the exile began, it dates to about 520 BCE, and you don't need to know that date. But what is helpful to know is that's about 66 years after the fall of Jerusalem. That, of course, being where the independent nation of Judah was destroyed and God's people were sent to live in Babylon and then Persia. But the book of Haggai comes right at the end of the exile and at the beginning of that new Jewish state. It's a time where the remnant of Judah has been granted to come back to the promised land. The seemingly joyous return of Israel, which would be, I don't even have to tell you, how great of a moment of of just realizing God's blessing and protection and deliverance of his people. But by the time Haggai comes around, they'd been in the land for about 18 years And it's a much different picture than that joyous return that they dreamed of. Because things fall apart pretty quickly. Haggai sort of takes place, uh, I know that we just went through Ezra and Nehemiah in uh, in the men's study. So if you're thinking about where Haggai kind of fits into all that, it's about between Ezra 4 and 5. There's a few verses there that kind of summarize the work of Haggai. But it's by this time... The work of the building, of building the temple had started, but what looked like this joyous time of recommitment to God had long since fizzled out. You see, the enemies of the people didn't want a rebuilt Israel. They didn't want a rebuilt temple. They didn't want the remnant to survive. And so they threatened the work of Judah. And the people were intimidated and discouraged And the rebuilding of God's house stopped completely. And by the time Haggai came around, the building had been stopped for about 16 years. God's house just laying in complete disrepair. 
But the entire book of Haggai takes place in about four months. And a lot changes in these four months. It's a compact book. Haggai is a short book, but it is to the point. And I'll try to emulate that in the sermon today. And if you've forgotten all these dates already, that's fine. Here's what you need to know. The book of Haggai takes place at a time where God's people had abandoned his temple and had abandoned his work. That's what you need to know. So we're going to start just by reading the book of Haggai together. I've put a general outline on the screen. I'm not going to go through that point by point. I don't think that that's going to be necessarily the most productive use of our time. But we're just going to read this book together. So if you want to kind of cross-reference where we are with this, feel free to do that. But we're just going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through. All right. Chapter 1, verse 1 of Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain and the new wine, the oil and on what the ground brings forth and on man and beast and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the, year, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. 
Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give Peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail And yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So that's the whole book. 
not a particularly long read, but a lot of important things happening here, and we'll try to kind of cover them in brief before we end this lesson. Overall, the book speaks to the importance of God in the daily lives of his people. The book of Haggai in many ways serves as a sort of call to action for us to evaluate our ways and to get to work for God. Because in the book, God really lays out the two paths before Israel. He says, when you chose your desires, your way, your wants over my work, when you chose yourself over God, you ended up miserable. You were hungry and you were helpless. He even equates that state to being ceremonially unclean by touching something dead and gross, that everything the Israelites touch, even if that thing is inherently a good thing, it becomes unclean because of the pride and sin and uncaring attitude for God that is in them. That even if you do the things that are good, you can't pat yourself on the back if all you have in you is hatred and apathy for God. But then there's the other path, because that's a sad picture. God's people being unclean and unholy because they refuse to love their own God. That they went back to ignoring God. The same thing that they were exiled for in the first place. And though it may look different now, they're suffering the same consequences again. Even though God pleads with them to return to him. But then God says there's another path. It doesn't have to be the way you go down. God says, when you do my will and my work, I will bless you. You will have everything that you need. You will be completely provided for. I will bless you in a physical sense and I will even restore the kingship of David and make it a world altering kingdom, which we know of course refers to the coming spiritual kingdom of Jesus, where God's people can be restored to him and that he will bless them. And unlike most of the prophets, this book actually gets a happy ending. The people return to the work of God, they dedicate themselves to him, and they are blessed because of it. And that's the basic message of the book of Haggai, and I think we should find it to be a relatable one because we have to make the exact same choice. It's ourselves or God. Our path, which leads to disappointment and emptiness, or God's path of fulfillment and blessings. You see, the book of Haggai isn't some distant, impossible to understand book because it's a very similar story to our story as Christians. Sure, our problem isn't paneled houses and the neglect of the physical temple in Jerusalem, but at the end of the day, it's the same choice that we have to make. What do we prioritize in our lives? Because I think sometimes we might be like the people of Israel. We may have all this sin and apathy, and pride in our lives. But I feel like, well, I came together with God's people, and I took the Lord's Supper, and I sang this week. I prayed a couple times. Maybe I even gave to the collection. Check. 
did God's work this week. That's not the picture we get of Christianity. That you can come here, you can hear all the right things, you can say all the right things if you want, but if what you're living like, if what your heart is, is full of evil and hatred for God, nothing that you do here is going to matter unless you turn to him. So what do we prioritize? Because our decisions in our everyday lives matter. We have to choose humility over pride, God's work over riches, obedience over apathy. And we have to do that every day. And that's the same choice that the people in Haggai's day had to make. So the question for us is do we emulate the people in that book? Do we turn away from all the things that are holding us away from God? And do we repent and do we cling to him? Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Father, Holy God, help us to learn from the words of your prophet Haggai. We read about how you over and over reach out to your people and plead with them to strive after you, showing them that all blessings and mercy and life come from you and from following your path. And yet so often throughout scripture, we see your people reject you for riches and for worldly pleasures and for the curses that that life brings. And then we look to our own lives and far too often we see the same mistake. We reject your perfect word and we turn to our stubborn and selfish plans for ourselves. And we are truly sorry for this. Father, we seek to trust you and love you better. Help us to be about your work and to prioritize your will and your goals over our own. Grant us the purity and cleansing that can only be found in you that we may find eternal citizenship in your holy kingdom. In Jesus, our King's name, we pray, amen.